0: Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and today I'm joined by Nathan Rubin, founder of Millennial Politics, and Matt Pelican, Democratic Farmer Labor candidate for Minnesota Attorney General. Thanks for coming on, guys.
1: Great. Happy to be here.
0: So, to start, could you tell us about your background and why you decided to run for Minnesota Attorney General?
1: Definitely. I'm a lifelong Minnesotan. I was born in a small town called Northfield, which is south of the Twin Cities, and grew up there uh, with a loving family, but was also a gay kid in a small town and sometimes felt a little isolated and dealt with my share of bullying. And I think that experience taught me about social justice and really trying to fight for a more equal society for people. So I got involved in politics as a teenager. Our backyard neighbors were very close to Paul and Sheila Wellstone. And they saw that I cared and that I was passionate. And they started taking me to community events organizing around issues of income inequality and economic justice. And they also started taking me to local Democratic Party events. So I actually went to my first precinct caucus when I was a teenager. And I went back two years later and I was precinct chair uh, when I was 17 years old. I have really been involved then since a pretty early age. And I went to my hometown school or one of my hometown schools to St. Olaf College. And there I got further involved in politics. I led the college Democrats and organized against the Iraq war, which was a major debate at the time that I was there. And I worked for Paul Wellstone when he was a U.S. Senator. And then after college, I went to work for Different progressive candidates and causes in Minnesota and around the country. I worked for Mark Dayton, who's now governor of Minnesota, uh, while he was a U.S. Senator. And then I worked in Florida for a couple years and ended up coming back to Minnesota for law school. I went to the University of Minnesota. I was editor in chief of Minnesota Law Review. And I then went to work for the Minnesota Supreme Court. I clerked for uh, Justice Paul Anderson and then for Justice David Lillahog. And that was nice for me because Lillahog had. Worked uh, in and around Democratic uh, politics for a long time and had been a US Senate candidate in the 2000 election. And I was actually a delegate for David in his US Senate campaign to the state convention in 2000. And then I, through total coincidence, wound up being his first law clerk after uh, Mark Dayton, um, who actually was the person who ended up winning that Senate election, uh, put David on the Supreme Court. I was in private practice in Minneapolis for a number of years working for businesses and individuals helping to really provide access to the justice system here in Minnesota. In 2016, I saw the stakes in the presidential election, so I quit my job and I put everything I owned in storage and I moved to Ohio. And I helped to run the voter protection effort for the presidential campaign in Ohio to combat voter suppression and expand access to the franchise. It's a great experience. We recruited and trained over 3,000 volunteer lawyers to help with election day and early vote in Ohio. And then I came back here and really saw the activism and engagement that is so inspiring that we see at a local level and a national level. You know, in the wake of the Donald Trump election, I thought to myself, this is so disorienting and so dispiriting that it's easy to feel disengaged and to want to walk away. And I quickly realized that the only way that we were going to be able to overcome the tremendous challenges that we about to confront the progressive movement was for people to get more involved in whatever capacity that was for them, rather than less involved. And if I wanted to see other people do that, I needed to do it as well. And having worked in and around campaigns for my entire adult life, that meant running for office. And as we've seen across the country, the state attorneys general can play a pivotal role in being on the front lines of opposing Donald Trump and what he and his administration are doing, but also trying to make progress on really important issues totally independent from Trump, like getting an economy that's actually working for people and continuing really important work on civil rights and equal rights. And so I thought we need a strong progressive attorney general. While there is a Democratic incumbent attorney general, I don't think that She's in step with really what we've seen and need from progressive leaders around the country. And so I thought it was a good opportunity for me to step in and be part of that conversation and the movement of continuing to advance uh, our progressive priorities uh, wherever possible.
2: So so let's dive into that a little bit more because I'm sure most Americans know – that the U.S. Attorney General is Jeff Sessions, but it's possible that not a lot of folks know the name of their state attorney general, or perhaps even that each state has their own attorney general. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about the role of a state attorney general and why that position is important?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question because I've encountered a lot of similar Questions As I've traveled, even from people who are relatively involved in the political process. And so the state attorney general wears several hats. As I put it, first and foremost, the attorney general is in charge of representing all Minnesotans. And there are a lot of laws that have enforcement provisions that can only be enforced by the attorney general, but are really essential for protecting consumer rights and worker uh, employment protections. And so the attorney general is the chief watchdog there to protect Minnesotans or the residents of whatever state the AG is, is working for and vindicate their rights in the civil context, meaning consumer issues, workplace issues, discrimination issues, as well as constitutional rights under both the state and the federal constitution. So there's a really important enforcement role to be the bulldog and really provide a platform for protecting Minnesotans. The attorney general also is the lawyer for the state government. And so everything from the State Department of Health to, depending on how it works, the governor in many contexts. uh, So the attorney general provides a consulting role as the counsel to the state government, while also providing voice and power to the interests of the people of Minnesota.
0: So could you tell us about what your priorities would be as Attorney General?
1: I put it in two big categories. One is what we're going to do to protect Minnesotans, and the other is what we're going to do to run the office. So I go around the state, I talk about three issues. I call them guns, drugs, and power. On guns, I think that we have to send the tide of gun violence in this country. It is a crisis, it is endangering communities, and there are popular common sense gun safety measures that we need to start enacting. And that begins with universal background checks and keeping guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them in the first place. There's a lot of work to do at the state level here in Minnesota, but we are better than many states. And so I make that the primary issue in supporting and then defending whatever we're doing here in Minnesota to get some sanity to our gun safety laws. For instance, there's a dangerous piece of legislation working its way through Congress right now called the Concealed Carry Reciprocity Bill. This bill would take away the right of states like Minnesota to set their own common sense permit laws and instead make the lowest common denominator in the country the ceiling for permit laws. States like Minnesota have closed loopholes to keep guns out of the hands of domestic abusers, but not all states have done that. And some of the states that haven't taken guns away from domestic abusers also don't have residency requirements. So this federal legislation would pose a major risk to potential victims of domestic abuse, as well as some other really common sense areas that we can address gun safety. 17 attorneys general have spoken out against this legislation and would challenge it. Minnesota is not one of them. And as Attorney General, I would take on the National Rifle Association and be a partner with the productive conversation that we're seeing emerge now that I hope will bear fruit in restoring sanity to our gun laws. The second issue is drugs. And by that I mean the pharmaceutical industry and its role in out-of-control prescription drug pricing and the opioid epidemic. I don't think that there are any there's no reason that drugs that are innovated in America and made in America should be cheaper in Canada. And as attorney general, I believe right now I would be empowered to investigate the pharmaceutical industry and hold them accountable for their role in gouging consumers on drug pricing and force them to the negotiating table to negotiate prices on behalf of state purchasers. I also think there's a mechanism under the U.S. Constitution called the Interstate Compact that would allow an attorney general pursuing this to coordinate with like-minded states and AGs to band together in our bargaining power. I think it's a very effective mechanism, and I think that it's something that we need to explore. The incumbent has taken the position that we have to change state law before she could take on the pharmaceutical industry, and I just disagree. So I say in year one, I would begin that process of investigating them. The third issue is power, and by that I mean economic power and those who have too much of it. I think that we have to shift the balance of our pow- of power in our economy back into the hands of the middle class and working people and one of the best mechanisms to do so is state antitrust law. Antitrust law can and must play a pivotal role in breaking the conglomeration of economic and political power into the hands of too few. I think it's one of the issues that has really been rigging the economy against the average person. And that, again, we have effective tools right now to hold them accountable and get some of that power out of the very, very consolidated place it sits and back into the hands of everyday people. And Minnesota used to have the best state antitrust office in the country. I think that we need to do that again. And we can really, with progressive leadership, push the boundaries of what's happening at state antitrust And I think you're going to hear a lot more about antitrust in the coming months and years as a mechanism for progressives to restore more fairness to the economy. So those are the top three issues that I would focus on in terms of substantive law. Here in Minnesota, there there are some issues with just how we manage the office and treating the people who work there with respect and integrity. And that has really hurt the retention and recruitment. There are great people who work in that office, but they've also lost a lot of people. It's down almost 50 lawyers from its peak size. And it doesn't offer common sense things right now. For instance, there's no paid maternity leave for attorneys in the AG's office. And I support paid maternity leave for all employees. It's unconscionable to me that we would have an office here that doesn't provide that for professionals trying to work on behalf of the people of Minnesota. Likewise, there's no remote email access. And it's just one of those things that is kind of a head scratcher because if the governor of Minnesota can provide remote email access or the White House can do it, why can't the Minnesota Attorney General's office provide access to email? If you are going to read or respond to email in the AG's office, you have to be physically in the office now. You can't get it at home. You can't get it at night. You can't get it on your phone. It's just crazy. And it's inefficient for the people of Minnesota. And it has, it sounds like a little thing, but it's had a major impact in keeping people there and in the quality work that they can do. So I put it in those two camps of outside the office, the legal positions, and then inside the office of just modernizing it and getting it to a more progressive approach to dealing with the people working there.
0: So you've talked a little bit about the incumbent attorney general who was first elected to the office in 2006. Why do you think Minnesotans need change and why are you the right person to bring that change?
1: Absolutely. Our progressive values have never been under greater assault. And on top of Donald Trump and what his administration is doing in terms of empowering some of the most divisive voices in the country and posing an active threat to communities, they're also completely abandoning any work on behalf of consumers or civil rights In the country. And we have so much important work left to do in getting an economy that's working for people, in moving towards equal rights in this country, and in being a check on the Trump administration. The state attorney general has to be not only an ally, but a leader on the front lines fighting for these progressive values and defending the things that make us proud to be Minnesotans. I think whatever the right fit was in the past. We need new energy, and we need new progressive leadership in the office, and we need a stronger and more decisive attorney general. I've worked in and around Minnesota politics for over 20 years. I have a depth of experience in understanding what needs to happen, but I'm not a political insider, and I believe that I would bring both fresh, progressive energy and an outsider's perspective to really push the office to use all levers of power available to it to fight for Minnesotans, and defend those progressive values that I've been talking about.
2: So if you're elected, you will become the youngest currently serving attorney general in the United States. Can you talk a little bit about why you think it's important to elect
1: younger people to public office? Two things jump to mind. First, we need fresh energy. When I go around the state at these conventions I'm attending, the first question I ask is how many delegates in the room our first time delegates, and it's usually at least half, sometimes seventy percent and so whatever the age of the participants, I think that we need new progressive activists to get more involved because the Democratic Party and our elected leaders simply haven 't been pushing themselves and pushing our party hard enough to deliver meaningful results into getting an economy that 's working for people and protecting civil rights. We've made good progress, but we have so much more work to do. And I think that we are seeing that it's going to take new energy and new ideas. So young people, along with all first-time and new activists, are needed in the process. And I want them to feel appreciated and welcomed. And that's true up and down the ticket at the most local level to the national campaigns. The second thing specific to young people is they have tremendous stake in the game. You look at Millennials and Generation Z, and they are facing tremendous challenges of crushing student debt to aging parents and a crumbling safety net, declining elder care, uh, skyrocketing housing prices in many urban communities and elsewhere. These are really big issues that, if they're not addressed, are going to set the middle class back and set opportunity back for at least this entire entire generation if not multiple generations and so we need young people to stand up for themselves and participate because their interests are directly implicated by what's happening and we have to fight for ourselves and we need a bigger voice in the process
0: so as you mentioned you're a member of the lgbtq community could you talk a little more about that and how your identity would affect your perspective as attorney general
1: i say It's an important part of who I am. I don't ask people to vote for me just because I'm gay or queer, but because of how it informs my values and my tenacity and my fight for equality. As I mentioned, I faced my share of bullying, and I learned at times what it was like to feel like an outsider. And that has infused my entire life with a passion for fighting for equality and fighting for civil justice. And so it's not just being gay, it's what it taught me and the empathy that it brought to my politics. I think it also has really made me passionate about speaking up for communities that need a higher platform. To me, being gay is part of why I feel very strongly that it's important for us to say that black lives matter that trans lives matter, that immigrants matter, and that no person or human being is illegal. And so to me, it is part of being a coalition of diverse voices who need to have a higher platform and need political leaders that are going to stand up for people who don't already have great representation and need fighters who are going to have that fire in the belly for a more fair and just society.
2: So I guess when we think about the issues that are in the common public discourse with Jeff Sessions really trying to to roll back the progress we've made with regards to marijuana laws with the idea of gun rights being a hot topic after the Parkland shooting, the concept of net neutrality. These are instances where we have seen states really pick up the mantle and run with it. Can you talk a little bit about how you perceive the idea of states' rights and and whether you think that there should be the opportunity for individual states to decide how they want to approach specific issues?
1: States are a vital part of figuring out how we are going to work towards a more equal and just society and working through different competing approaches to that. I think that the federal government should be the floor of protecting workers' rights and immigrant rights and the environmental safety across the board. And if there are states, or even within states, there are municipalities or local governments that want to do more, we should protect and encourage them to do so. I think that the right wing will often use the state's rights analogy because they want the federal government to be a ceiling and they want to see states go in and violate or take away rights or equities that the rest of the country has already decided that people are entitled to. And to me, there's not a tension or a hypocrisy there. I think it's very straightforward again, that as a nation at a federal level, we establish the baseline, but of course, more justice and more equity can be encouraged and supported. And states play a really important role in figuring out how to do that and in sometimes going further than maybe the entire country is ready to go with certain ideas or policies. And so, to me, states' rights is about protecting the ability of states to be a laboratory to figure out new ways while not violating the baseline of civil rights and economic uh, justice issues that we've already litigated or decided at a national level.
0: So how can people find out more about you and get involved in your campaign?
1: I'd love to have people support and hear from anyone around the country. And of course, here, especially in Minnesota, we're online at mattpelican.com. You can check me out on Facebook at Uh, username Matt Pelican or Twitter Matt Pelican and uh, it'd be great to hear from people. We are a grassroots community driven campaign. So I'm happy to answer questions or field inquiries from folks and we'll welcome the word of mouth and the support from anyone.
0: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. As Nathan mentioned earlier, it's not an office a lot of people know about, but it's one that's so essential, and it's really great to see a young queer person running.
1: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the project you guys are doing to lift uh, up voices of uh, the new generation of politicians. So thank you guys so much for reaching out and for giving me the opportunity.
0: Yeah, of course. Again? I'm Jordan Valerie, politics editor at Millennial Politics. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan Val Allen. Make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to our newsletter, and check out our merch at millennialpolitics.co. And stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening.